I didn't know what to do. And I, I didn't know how to cope. And I am a professor. I'm somebody who spent many, many years studying, um, reading books and stories. And I did the only thing that I knew how to do, which is I looked for other people's stories of how they would have survived such grave losses, such huge moments of my life is forever changed. How in the world am I possibly going to heal or go on or ever be okay again? Hi, my name is Lance and this is Unsilent, a speak series by No Stigmas that champions mental health advocacy and challenges stigmas that all too often prevent people from getting the help they need. We're so happy you're here. In today's third part of a three-part conversation with Danielle, we get to hear from her about the power of what she calls storying and being trauma aware and how all stories really do matter. And be sure to check out part one and two of our conversation with Danielle to really dive into her own shared lived experiences. We're so thankful to Danielle for sharing her story with us and being so honest and open and vulnerable. Thank you again for being with us and remember to break these stigmas, we must be unsilent. Let's dive in. Today's episode contains in-depth conversations around suicide, suicidal ideation, and suicide loss. It's okay if you need to skip this one. Do what's right for you. Trauma exists for people in so many different ways. And we talk about the capital T and the lower T. And I think that it's important to, yes, to be aware that people have a lot of very, very traumatic experiences now, post-COVID, things that we don't, we aren't aware of. And I would, I would also say that um, it's also important to be aware that we don't, we don't get to say whether someone's experiences are is traumatic or not. <laughs> you know, I just think that again, in that spirit of of, of comparing, and I hear. I hear a lot of um, my fellow educators talking about Gen Zers who toss that word around. Um, oh, I'm, I'm traumatized. Oh, I'm traumatized. That as a rhetorician, somebody who pays attention to word meanings, I get nervous because I see the ways in which that word um, is used across a myriad of different contexts. And I think it's important to validate all sorts of experiences. And I think it's important to understand that we are not in anybody else's body and we can't necessarily say that that was or was not a traumatic event. Um, I've done a lot of reading on PTSD and I, I the, the book, The Body Keeps Score with Dr. Van Kolk, who was the psychiatrist um, who helped to, to diagnose and to, to provide a classification for PTSD. Part of what he frames in that book is that we can't outside of someone's lived embodied experiences, we can't say that's not trauma because it has to do with how that brain functioned and processed the trauma and continues to process that trauma. Whether whether that person is experiencing the heightened cortisol and the actual, you know, differences in how their their brain is is acting in cognition. So I think that humility and that that awareness it is important. Um, whether it's capital T or lowercase T, again, we might not um, have any business to say. I, I do think, though, that in that spirit of being nervous about the ways in which that word is tossed around, I do think it's important for us to sit with hard experiences and trauma, a clinical definition of trauma and an embodied experience of trauma, 
we need to be very careful about our language use in, in, in that regard, not maybe to, to profess to somebody else that's not trauma, but to be aware of it for, for our own understanding, because um, they do, there are some critical differences. I think, though, also that one of the hard things, and I, this is my own experience as well, I needed to learn to understand that though the trauma was not my fault, the healing was, and though I am, I had been at points, for example, triggered by movies or television shows with gunshot wounds to the head, I still needed to do the healing for that and to address the trauma triggers. And that that is an important part that I would say validating people's experiences and their survivorship, but there also needs to be accountability of our own healing, especially in a time and place where we have, there's so many different experiences of trauma that we really need to call on our own, um, you know, our, our own investment in, in healing and accountability that we can't, we can't necessarily expect that other people are always going to understand our triggers and to tiptoe around them. Our healing is our own, uh, you know, is, is our own work. So I say that holding space for people's trauma and not diagnosing or, you know, professing that someone's trauma is traumatic enough or not trauma, but then also being aware that at the same time, um, we are we are charged with, with the task of, of, of doing the work to try to cope with and heal from our trauma. It's both and. So if not, I think also we can end up in a place where everybody is traumatized in some degree. And you can't possibly always be aware of the, all of the things that are going to be um, triggers or to be aware of all potential social interactions with might be trauma. That's just, that's not feasible. It can be overwhelming and would cause us maybe to keep our mouths, you know, to be quiet, to keep our mouths shut because we're so fearful um, of all of the potential trauma of anyone that could arise at any moment in time. Though, you know, I, I mean, I do think that those things are, are important and I know we make light of them and some people think we go too far with them, but I, I think that the acknowledging those as important points, important things of people's experience that are trauma, that they are coping with, that they're doing the work, but it's still hard. It's still hard. There's a balance there, I think. There's a quote um, by Thomas King, a Native American author, who says that stories are, are all that we really are, and not to relegate them to a lesser form of communication, or sometimes in, in, in Western discourse, we think of them as not as scientific or empirical or objective, but, but part of, of, of humanity. And whether that's history, whether that's movies or television shows or books or journals or, or just stories you share with, with friends that you meet or partners you share at the end of your day, uh, stories are at the heart of who we are. Um, and and my, my Native American mentors have, have taught me that. So from a, from a professional scholarly point of view, I, I believe that. Personally, um, I will say that when my, after my brother had completed suicide and my mother had just died the previous month, I didn't know what to do. And I, I didn't know how to cope. 
And I am a professor. I'm somebody who spent many, many years studying, um, reading books and stories. And I did the only thing that I knew how to do, which is I looked for other people's stories of how they would have survived such grave losses, such huge moments of my life is forever changed. How in the world am I possibly going to heal or go on or ever be okay again? And it was the only relief. It was the only thing that helped me to 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 cope, to deal, to to heal, if 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 that is an appropriate word, the, the therapeutic, the healthy therapy of how I approach it um was was through other people's stories. And recognizing that they had been such an important part of my journey and feeling convicted to share what had happened to me and how I have coped for my own healing, my own need to to get out my stories of what I've endured, but also if it helps somebody else heaven forbid, but if anybody were years down the road to find themselves in the similar situation that I was in, they have multiple suicides of people uh, in their immediate family, multiple losses, and they think, how the hell am I going to go on? What do I do? Where do I start? I, I think that that's the best humanity can offer other people. And I think we've always started to to recognize the power and the potential of that in Western academics, Western discourse, um, and we could really do a, a you know great service to understand that many many cultures have understood the power of storying for for many 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 years. But it's I consider it my my spirituality and my religion. If there's anything I believe in so strongly. It's the power of storying, and I think it rely it lies in most of our um, the core of our of who we are of, of, of humanity, of religions, of how other people have have endured in their experiences. I think that the closest we can ever get to understanding another person's lived embodied experiences is through story. We will work to to create mental advocacy and destigmatize destigmatize um, mental illness and the need for, you know, discussion of mental health episodes through people's stories. And, and we need a lot of them. Everybody's stories matters. We, we need to share them and hold space for them, listen to them and yeah, tell them they all matter. We say thank you again to Danielle for sharing her story with us and being so open and honest and vulnerable. And to go beyond the show, you can always connect with us at No Stigmas on all social media platforms and at nostigmas.org. Thank you again so much for joining us today. And remember, be unsilent. We'll see you next time.